Hello and welcome to Restore 2022. Again, we've been waiting for questions from um, everybody who's been on this journey of reading the Bible together. And uh, a few weeks ago, we had some questions about Romans and the way we decided to deal with this is that we're going to be talking about one particular question, which is a very big and complex theme, and that's uh, to do with a new perspective on Paul and his understanding and our understanding of justification. And another one that is, we've left it for the deep dive, and that's to do with um, Romans 13. 13 and the relationship of believers with a state when things go well and then when things don't go well. But I'm here with my friend Peter Turnell and they will be grappling a little bit and to do its good justice we need some time to explore different layers of the complexity of the understanding of justification and what does Paul um, bring about with his theology um, and his understanding of salvation and what God has done for us through the book of Romans. So, Peter, it's good to have you on board. And I know you've put a lot of work into this, so I'm, I'm very uh, grateful for that. But, yeah, how, how are we going to go about it today then? <laughs> Well, that's been the big struggle, really. I mean, what is, is how do you talk through and introduce this kind of topic? Because, um, it's, it's a, fundamentally, it's a rethink of Paul. It's a rethink. It's a modern rethink. So I would say that the church has, um, especially in the West, been very kind of solid and consistent in, um, how it's looked at Paul, there was a massive shift really with the Reformation that we've kind of continued with for um, the last 500 years. But in modern times, uh, with modern uh, the rise of modern biblical scholarship, so much has been challenged and changed and um, and so on, and just, just rethought. And Paul has had a huge kind of overhaul um, along with the rest of the Bible. And... Um, and it's interesting to see what changes and what um, what stays the same, and uh, and sometimes in with these things it all gets sort of torn apart, and maybe we go round the houses a lot, and then you kind of end up back where you were, where the church has always been. So you know it can be funny like that. Sometimes there are new, real, valuable insights uh, that are very worthwhile keeping, and sometimes. Yeah. You just go around the houses and you realise, oh, um, I think we understand now basically the same thing, but at a whole greater level. Anyway, the new perspective on Paul is, yeah, it needs discussing really. And it we, we avoided it while we were talking about Romans, which we've just gone through before starting numbers. And it, it'll come up again when we study Galatians. And these are the two books of the two letters of Paul, where the new perspective comes from. The, the, it's, it's a rereading of Paul that focuses on these two letters. 
And we avoided talking about it, I think, in, in our uh, videos on Romans, but it was still sprinkled in there. Um, <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, especially, you know, cagely talking about Paul's view of the law and Paul's view of Judaism. I and know- the story of salvation, really, it, that that came about in those chapters, especially from, you know, as you start reading the book, there was that, you know, he, he picks up, but it's on the back of Judaism and amongst the Jew- Jews and the Gentiles there. Yeah, in Romans it's at its thickest, but it's very important in, in Galatians as well, which we'll come to at some point. So what's it about? The new perspective on Paul, it, it came from about the 70s onwards, just to give you a kind of a, a, a timeline. And I'll go a bit more into that in a second, but it focuses on justification, what justification is, have we understood it correctly, especially since the time of the reformers, Luther and Calvin. And the law, of course, as, as a big part of justification, have we got the law right? Do we understand it as something very negative, something very opposite to the gospel, or have we got that wrong as well? And that ties into the other big thing, the nature of Judaism. Yeah. What kind of religion was Judaism in Paul's time? What did he grow up in? What was he converted from? If he was converted, that's a that's another debating point. Was that's he, a question. Isn't it? Yeah. Was he converted or was he just called? And then, again, these are all interrelated. Paul's opponents, who is he arguing with? You know, especially we, we talked about um, diatribe rhetoric in, in Romans where Paul has these imaginary opponents that he he argues with in order to to further his argument and make his points and tell us the real version of whatever it is he's talking about but who are they based on you know what was he yeah what was he in opposition to especially in those two letters Romans and Galatians and then a little more abstractly what was the center of Paul's theology what was it all kind of rooted in is it rooted in who Jesus is? Is it rooted in what Jesus has done? Is it all about salvation by faith, justification by faith, Jesus' death and resurrection, that kind of thing? Or actually, is that just one important point of uh, a much greater theology that has a different centre? And that's a di- that's another key issue. So those are all the, the, the main topics or contents of the new perspective. How they're answered can vary, but In a sense, what they don't mean is what the new perspective proponents agree on. They all agree on a negative reaction to a traditional understanding of what all those things are. And then how they answer that after that can get quite disparate or or whatever. Yeah. And um, this... um... There, There is interesting articles everywhere about this and it's been going on for a while, you know, I remember when I, we were training that this was part of the conversations then. And it can be it can be off-putting because some of it is the complexity. Some of it is because we're trying to, to think in new ways and you can go only so far. And then I'm, I was one of the cohort of people who started thinking about this. And then because it was so complex and because... It, it became almost a rivalry. Then it put me off because I thought, hey, I, I don't want to be 
involved in this kind of big debate because I think it's been a really serious um, issue amongst the Christians. You know, pastors have been appointed or not appointed. Uh, churches have split over this issue. So it, it's, from my side, it's a pastoral issue as well. And I think it's good mm. to to grapple with it. And um, I know that you are a big fan of the exegesis and you're a big fan of, hey, but let's go back to the scriptures. And I think this is what we were trying to do uh, today as well as just give a little bit of that of that background and stuff like that. So you talked a little bit about Paul's opponents and the the stuff that Paul was dealing with, with the people, you know, Jews, Gentiles, the things that they were bringing, the baggage that they were bringing and stuff. And it's to do also with our understanding of Paul's relationship to these opponents. And historically, where, where has the church stood with this and where was this kind of who were the the people who who kind of started questioning mm. that relationship yeah so i think that i think the important place to go back to is luther and the reformation and luther was in a context you know the catholic church was very powerful and it had gone quite far in some of its abuses like selling salvation basically you could literally buy years off your time in purgatory by... The amount of money that you gave. Yeah, uh, and selling relics for the same sort of purpose. And it, it just became... Salvation became a sort of industry. And I think yes, in the middle of all that... That's a good that, way to put it. Yeah. You know, Luther could look at himself as well and, and see he wasn't worthy. The God that he found in the Bible was so holy and pure and it just shattered his conscience because... He could see there was nothing he could do that was ever going to be good enough for this God. And, and in the end, it, it forced him to, well, in the end, he discovered things in Galatians and in Romans that set him free. He, he basically discovered the gospel, He discovered justification by faith. He found that Paul was teaching that there is indeed nothing we can do to earn God's favor, favor. or yeah. love or our salvation and that it is something that God has achieved by himself through Jesus, and that is on offer to us, as it were, um, by faith through Jesus. And it was in his discovery of this that he personally was set free, and um, and that's where the Reformation began. And it was, he challenged the, the Roman Catholic Church. The teaching of the church, the practices. Yeah, and yeah. he said... This is this is what it is. We've yeah. been we've been missing this, and we we badly need reform. That's a, one thing that one I, I should point out about Luther was that he he did oppose the Catholic Church, but he didn't want to leave him. He wanted to reform him, and he was different in that regard to other reformers who who came after him or who were around him. He he had to leave it in the end because I think they put that to him and said, "Well, you can either recant these new ideas." and stay a Catholic, or you can leave. And he said, well, I'm going where the gospel goes, basically. Yeah. But that wasn't what he wanted. He didn't want to destroy the church. He wanted it to be reformed, reformed in the light of the gospel that he had basically rediscovered. Yeah, and he wanted for them to own that discovery that actually it's not your own stuff that industrializes the salvation. It's purely that that gift of God. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So grace, I suppose, is, uh, yes. I mean, to use, to follow up on that word gift, uh, the other mm. rendering is grace. And that's, so from Paul's emphasis on, uh, sorry, uh, Luther's emphasis on grace that he discovered in Paul came um, some emphases that uh, endured for the next 500 years and perhaps intensified since since then. And these emphases were on the law versus the gospel, grace versus works, the characterization of Judaism of Paul's day as being just totally works righteous uh, or legalistic things like that and yes the the emphasis on salvation by faith or justification as being well two things one at the very controlling center of Paul's theology so that everything just kind of came out from it like spokes or and sorry and the idea of it as being the thing where everybody is trying to be saved and it's answering that question, how do we say, be saved? We're all guilty, we all uh, deserve punishment, uh, a separation from God. So how do we all get saved, whether Jew or a Gentile? And this is um, God's solution. So it was that collection of ideas that kind of ruled the roost in, hmm. in Paul all the way up until um, the 20th century. But just going back a little bit before then into the first half of the 19th century in Germany, there was a scholar called F.C. Bauer and he, he basically started the, 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 the modern look at Paul. And he came up with a whole sort of uh, set of readings of Paul and a whole load of ideas about what his situation was and, and so on. Very influential for quite a while. And then gradually, as these things do, the ideas get picked apart and then they're no longer followed by most scholars. And that's what happened. But F.C. Bauer left three questions. Now, his answers to these questions may have been discarded by many, but the questions remained and they continue to remain to this day. So that anybody who gets into Paul um, at an academic level is thinking about one or all of these three questions. So, one, who are Paul's opponents and what did they think? What did they want? Two, how does Paul understand the law in relation to the gospel? And three, what is the centre of Paul's theology? And in the 20th century, we started to get a series of answers to these questions that basically built up to what we now know as a new perspective on Paul. So this, you know, you can find, uh, you read books on this, it'll trace it all the way back near to the beginning of the the 20th century. Although, as I uh, said near the beginning, what we now call the new perspective comes from the late 70s, really, either the, yeah, I'll say 77 because of, of one particular book. But, and I suppose it began with the questioning of, have we got Judaism right? Yeah. This idea that it's this cold, legalistic religion where the Jews are just striving, you know, quite like you would possibly read in Romans 10, to prove themselves to God and to make themselves worthy and acceptable. You think of that Pharisee in Luke yeah. um, with the tax collector, that kind of righteousness. Is 
is that correct? And some scholars began to say, no, we've got that wrong. And they differed over whether they thought Paul had it wrong or whether we are reading Paul and getting him wrong. So whether we're at fault or Paul's at fault. And um, this kept going until uh, the 60s when a Swedish scholar called Krista Stendhal or Stendhal, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, did it, uh, made a very, uh, wrote a very influential book called something like Paul and the Introspective Conscience of the West, where he said that we'd been reading Paul through Lutheran spectacles, that Luther's crisis of conscience over his own salvation and also the state of the church, he looked at the church and just imagined that the Jewish religion of Paul's day was the same. Mm. They would that Luther was just dealing with the same issues, but in a different form, where once it was Judaism, now it's the Catholic Church, and so on. But but basically the same thing. And he began to really critique that and say that is not the case. But it really, these ideas really hit their um, watershed moment in 1977, when an American scholar called E.P. Sanders wrote a book and... Paul and Palestinian Judaism, I yes. think it's called. Yes. And and he said, yes, we definitely have got Judaism wrong. And that actually Judaism was uh, not a legalistic religion, but a religion of grace. They all understood that God had freely chosen them. You know, that was what election was. And that he had created a covenant and brought them in, all grace. And that their responsibility was to respond to that in gratitude and obedience. So when we read Romans especially, and maybe Galatians as well, and think of the Jews as trying to get into salvation, that's wrong. They weren't trying to get in, they were already in. Their responsibility was to stay in, to maintain the covenant. To honour it. Yeah, to honour it and and to... just to obey, just to, yeah. yeah, and he called this covenantal nomism. So he said Judaism is actually a religion of grace, not legalism, and the kind of religion it is 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 um, covenantal nomism. Now you can see probably already how this kind of throws a few spanners into the works of of um, how we think uh, what what justification is and what Paul has been railing against especially in those two letters. So you can see now why it it focuses on justification, Paul's opponents, Paul's understanding of Judaism. Then, after E.P. Sanders, comes James Dunn, a British uh, New Testament scholar. And in 1982, he uh, he presented a lecture in Manchester, the Manson Lecture, uh, yes, 1982. And it was called something like Paul and the New Perspective or the New Perspective on Paul. And from the title of that lecture, which he then published the following year, that's where we get the title for this topic. So it's around that time that this stuff really sort of starts to crystallise and get its main proponents who then start writing commentaries and writing books. And we get N.T. Wright as well, another strong uh, proponent of the new perspective. Um, So... 
Yes, and and James Dunn is is worth talking about as well in um, in a bit more detail in the way he kind of uh, took this forward. So, um, yeah. So, I think what what James Dunn did in particular is when he wrote a, a two volume commentary on Romans. He wrote many many things, but um, he really focused on this phrase which occurs only in Paul, doesn't occur in the Old Testament, yeah. doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament, doesn't um, occur anywhere else in other Jewish writings, except maybe possibly the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, a little bit. And the phrase is works of the law. So we come across this... Um, in Romans, isn't it? Yeah. And in Galatians. And in yeah. Galatians, that's yeah. right. Uh, so Romans three twenty, we will have seen it where it comes to like the capstone of the of the mm. first part of Paul's argument. If you remember from from Romans, he starts yeah. about midway through Romans one uh, at verses um, sixteen and seventeen, and then builds through to the end of um, chapter three. And so, chapter three, verse twenty, he says, "No one." Uh, we are justified apart from the works of the law, and you might have that differently in your um, in your various translation. Uh, the deeds prescribed by the law, I think, is how the NRSV has it, but the Greek is works of the law, and it's a curious phrase. and And the difficulty is, well, what does Paul mean? You know, what's he talking about? Um, and it has normally been read as part of this works righteousness model yeah. or dynamic meaning that any attempt to prove your own righteousness uh, and in, in the Jews' case, as prescribed by any or all parts of the law, is um, it's boasting, it's, it's faithlessness, it's just there's no way to do that. God has not created uh, the way for salvation to do that. But on the new perspective view, of course... Um, they view the Jews as already being in the covenant. So they're not trying to get in. They're already in. Yeah. So in that case, what does works of the law mean? So James Dunn would say, or did say, works of the law doesn't mean any or all part of the law. It refers to those bits that make the Jews distinct from any other nation. Yeah. So it's nationalistic identity boundaries. Identi- which are circumcision, yeah, food, food, yes, dietary, dietary uh, uh, regulations, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Sabbath. Yeah. So these are the sorts of things um, that would make a Jew stand out anywhere in the world and keep them distinct. And also, if you wanted to um, become a Jew, uh, if you were a proselyte, you would have to take on those things in order to be yeah. to enter into that covenant and to be part of the people and those were the marks yeah the distinctive marks so that's what james dunn said paul means by the phrase works of the law wherever it occurs in uh, romans and galatians it's not about proving your righteousness so that god will accept you it's about um the identity markers that mean you're a jew and part of the people of god as distinct from the rest of the pagan world so on james dunn's reading what paul is criticizing judaism for is um is nationalism is holding on to the 
the salvation that's been given them, all the privileges that God has given them, and holding on to these things as a matter of pride, as a matter of distinction, and, you know, keeping the Gentiles out. And what God has done in Christ is to remove them and so that the Gentiles can come in. And this is another kind of sort of emphasis of the new perspective. It's it's to shift the idea of salvation away from people trying to get into heaven, as it were, to be justified. And in, in that sense, and to think more about how the Gentile, how God solves the problem of bringing in the Gentiles. That's how they would reread Paul, basically, and say that justification is not so much about trying to get saved or, or God saving you, but about um, this covenant relationship into um, into which God can now uh, bring the Gentiles and invite them in. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's, it's not so, yeah, it's not so much about salvation as unification in, in that sense. Although really it's re-understanding salvation, um, as, as unification. And then this means that, that salvation, we talked earlier about the center of Paul's theology. So yeah, it means it's not really the center. It only occurs in Galatians and Romans. So how can it be? You know, the main thing, the main, yeah, of what Paul was about and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Was trying to convey. Yeah, if if he only talks about it in those two letters, so that's that's one of their arguments. And um, so what? Yeah, what Paul is trying to do is to create this 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 covenant, this participationist eschatology is what some people call it. The idea that God has created this new people of God. And you are either in Christ or you're not. And that's the, the salvation that, that he gives. So it's union with Christ uh, and justification and the cross and all that kind of thing. That's part of, of that bigger theme, but it's not the centre. The centre is actually being in Christ, which is a phrase that he uses a lot yeah. in his letters. So these are the sorts of, you know, um, arguments or re- reconfigurations of, of, um, of the, the understanding of Paul since the Reformation. Um, but I would say, uh, yeah, it, it, it does leave an, a number of problems. And this is where we get into the kind of the diversity, you know, um, as I said earlier, they, they tend to agree on what they think Paul isn't saying, but then start to disagree on what they think he is saying. So N.T. Wright will give different answers to James Dunn and um, and and so on. I, I was telling you earlier on about the article that I read that yeah. um, all this uh, new perspective kind of people who, who, who promote it, they can agree on what justification is not, but they themselves cannot agree on what justification is. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And and problems involved in that are, um, well, for example, are the Jews already saved? Is that what is that what Paul is saying? If if 
if the Jews are already in the covenant um, and all they need to do is maintain it, then what's Jesus about? You know, who's he actually for? Is he just for the Gentiles only as a way, um, a, a side door for them to get in? Or is he something more, you know, it becomes a bit more tricky. Cause and what do they do with those parables of Jesus about the, the you know, the, the Jews and the Gentiles and the, the master turning home and uh, all those things? How, what's the, you know, because you're, you're a Gospel of Matthew specialist in that. What, what is their take? Um, I, I know this is taking us off the script a little bit, but I, I'm just thinking now, you know, what's their take on those? parables that Jesus is not assuming that Israel is saved with those parables um, you know the master return uh, the returning and then finding um, that they've not been faithful and therefore or the wedding banquet and all those things that um, his own have not accepted him and then he goes and he reaches out uh, to the streets and stuff to to get people i mean what's well that's that is interesting there's a couple of things i think well there was how how the jews of of jesus's day and paul's day thought about salvation and who was going to be saved is is interesting because the basic view and you do see this reflected in the gospels the basic view is if you're a jew you're saved. However, they did, um, there was such a thing as apostasy and there was yeah. such a thing as, as, as being, uh, faithless and there was an expectation that there are some who wouldn't qualify. They wouldn't qualify. They wouldn't be found in the world to come is sort of yeah. the, the way you find it in, in the Mishnah, which is, um, it's sort of a collection of the, the saying of the sages, um, from around Jesus' time and before and after. And, um, the other issue is, and this is a, a scholarly issue, is that um, Paul, when you come to Paul, you go back in time. And and this is what I tell my students when we're doing the, the introduction to the New Testament. We'll spend five weeks doing, uh, actually we'll spend six weeks doing background stuff, the four Gospels and Acts. And then where it's been following a chronology from about... I don't know, um, well, really, since the exile uh, through to um, about 60-something, 65, 63 AD. But then there's a, it's following this narrative chronology, this internal chronology. But when you finish with the narrative and you come to Paul's letters, so after Acts, it's Romans, you're actually going back in time. And you have to forget that... Um, that even though Paul comes after Jesus, all of Paul's writings were written uh, before the Gospels yeah. were written. Yeah. And so when you're reading Paul, you're reading a a time period that is fairly, you know, well before um, Luke and Acts and any of the Gospels. So when scholars are studying Paul, they don't have the Gospels in mind because they're not written yet. So they focus on whatever Paul thinks and whatever he knows, you know, from a, his, uh, a historical perspective, um, quite apart from the Gospels. And, um, yeah, so it, it becomes kind of compartmentalized. 
And um, so they don't have in mind any of Jesus' parables um, when they're when they're focused on the, on Paul. What they think? What, what does Paul know? What's the situation of the early church? What's it like in Syria? What's it like in Asia? What's it like yeah. in Greece? That kind of thing. And they're just thinking in those terms. Um, and a lot of scholars, or at least some, yeah, probably a lot, um, question how much Paul knows about Jesus anyway. So, you know, that's how, how kind of radically uh, separated they are. So whatever they find in Paul is whatever they find in Paul. They won't bring in... Um, any of the or of the Jesus stuff. There now there are other scholars who will do that, who will read the Bible more um holistically, more canonically, and um uh you're kind of getting into more biblical theology by by this point or and and we'll start comparing all these things. But if you're a Paul scholar, you just focus on whatever's going on in Paul. And they'll they'll even carve up the, the Pauline uh, corpus, so they don't even think that all thirteen letters are by Paul. It's only, uh, it's a smaller handful anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so the so so people who who write about the new perspective and stuff like that won't take into those, won't take into consideration um, other texts from the New Testament that they think are dated later, such as the Gospels. So another, just to, to finish, really, um, and wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, issue is if that they have to solve if you're a new perspective proponent is if Christ is the solution, as Paul seems to present him. What exactly is the problem? I I love that. I really love that. And uh, I, you know, when we were preparing this morning, I I thought, yeah, because again. Even if the context is that Paul, let's say Paul is writing only to the Gentiles and they, they, they've they got it. But then, you know, and he wants to sort them out because they, they will be part of this conversation and be invited in. Then, you know, what what is the problem for the Jews? You know, mm. they, they, what is the problem if if Paul is addressing it and Jesus is the solution for them? Yeah, I don't know if if this is making sense. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Uh, and well, I was going to just throw in one uh, for an example. There was a German scholar. Uh, they're not all German, <laughs> but um, they're called Vreda William Vreda, who who said that we we um, demythologize Paul too much, and. Um, you know, when he talked about evil powers and angels and stuff like that, and he believed in them much more than we do. And we, we yeah. tend to symbolize them and, and understand them as metaphor more than he would do. And, and so, that's a very Western thing as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's Western. It's modern. It's yeah. 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 And so we misread him. But whereas Paul really did think of, uh, when he talks about Christ rescuing us from this evil age, yeah. He really is thinking about a, a proper rescue, not just as a as metaphors for the the cleansing of a, a guilty conscience, but actually rescuing us from angels and demons and sin uh, as a as an actual sort of entity thing attacking us. Um, and yeah, so he he understood it in that way. So he reread Paul as saying it's not really again about the traditional view of of salvation. It's about Christ 
rescuing us and um, bringing us out of the evil age so that those powers can no longer hurt us and cause us death and make us sin and that kind of thing. Um, so that's an example of of the sort of solution that they think that some people think that Jesus is providing. Um, so I think from my point of view, um, I don't agree. I'll just be honest. I don't agree with any perspective. I, I'm still with the, the traditional view of salvation that, um, as Luther and Calvin sort of expounded it. I, um, I do think that there are valuable things in the new perspective that are worth. Yeah. You were mentioning some of that, that we, we've, we've re, recaptured the whole idea of understanding better Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's up for grabs a little bit, how you think about Judaism and stuff like that, but definitely, um, getting away from some of the, the uglier mischaracterizations of it and, and coming to understand it again as, um, as it should be, because there is a difference between what the ideal is and what it was on the ground. I mean, the, this is an important yeah. distinction. I mean, ideally, we think, and we, we have this with Christianity. Ideally, the gospel means X, Y, and Z, but h- how well we live that out and how well we all understand that as mm. Christians can just seriously vary. Yeah. So I think that's an important historical point. You know, there's Judaism as the pristine ideal, and then there is whatever it actually was. And we have to trust that Paul knew what he was talking about. I think for me, that's an important point that we don't override Paul with our, well, he's just wrong. And we know that from two millennia away and and so on. You know, he lived there. He debated these people. He was, he was brought up in it. And so I think we need to give a lot more credence to the the things that Paul says. We're still stuck on some issues of interpretation. We still need to to figure stuff out so it's not that simple but just as an attitude towards Paul um, uh, I'm much much more respectful of him than perhaps some other people are and this you know so the goal of trying to not be anti-semitic is very laudable but we also you know we have to respect what we're reading and we have to try and yeah it's a great challenge it's a great challenge to be fair and and to try and do as much justice I've given my opinion about that when I did, was it Romans 11 um, on the YouTube video? But um, yeah, we'll not okay. stop on there. <laughs> okay. And then um, I also, I think it's valuable what what they did, what the new perspective brings is to, is to bring forward other aspects of Paul's theology that probably have been neglected. And I know that there are certainly some uh, parts of the church that really are a one note thing with Paul, you know, they just bang on about justification by faith as though he never said anything else. And I think, you know, bringing forward union with Christ and bringing forward the, um, the Jew Gentile aspect of his theology. Yeah. So important. It's great to bring those things in. Are they the center? I don't know. I doubt it. I think that just for now, and I might, I might change my opinion on this, but I think that probably, you know, Jesus on the cross as the um, basis for the justification by faith, I think probably is the centre of Paul's theology. Yeah. And the fact that it 
doesn't occur, you know, he only really gets into it in Romans and Galatians, I think isn't really, um, isn't really a problem because there's a, you know, the scholars also say, oh, well, Paul never talks much about Jesus, therefore he's not, he wasn't really interested in, in Jesus or things he said or his teaching or, or whatever he did, miracles and so on. And the opposite argument to that is, well, he probably taught his churches so much all these things that yeah. when he wrote his letters to them, he didn't have to go over it. He just took it for granted. And I think the same thing obtains with with um, justification is that it's drilled into them so much that when it comes to his letters, he's addressing other problems, which we'll see shortly in 1 Corinthians. You know, he's addressing real life on the ground uh, questions, issues. issues. You know, uh, but when it comes to Romans, where he hammers out justification by faith in huge detail, it's to a church he's never met. So he hasn't spent time with them hammering out all these things. And he doesn't know really how much they know. So yeah. he does this massive letter yeah. where he explains it all. So the fact that it doesn't occur too much, I don't think is a defeater. It doesn't, it doesn't show that it therefore isn't the center of his thought. Um, so that's where I am. I think you know there's there's valuable gains and yeah. and and there's stuff to be embraced, but I'm still kind of on the traditional. Yeah. So am I. Things. So am yeah. I. In case uh, the listeners are wondering, <laughs> I've been more on the quiet side today, but I've I've more respected um, the work and the thought you've put into this. And um, yeah, we we put it off last week because we weren't sure. That we 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 wanted to communicate adequately today, mm. and I'm thank I'm very thankful to you, Pete, for going back, and uh, I've been doing some reading around it as well um, this week. And yeah, is it worth saying as well also that um, you know we'll probably cover this a bit when we come to Galatians, and if there's any. Um, desire for it we might be able to do a deep dive on it as well for the galatians deep dive is so you know this isn't necessarily the sort of last time we, we can talk about it yeah and and i think also it's worth um mentioning that if people think that something has been triggered a question has been triggered in the basis of what you've heard us talk today or mainly peter then by all means come come back to us and uh you know th this is this is the reason why we're doing this we're doing this so we can read together so we can grow in our appreciations of of who god is through his scriptures and live our lives so 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 it's amazing that we are able to to have these conversations although it's very complex although it's contentious um, in the sense that it's brought a lot of uh, challenging uh, conversations in the past, but I don't think we're there. And I, I'd really appreciate if people come back to us and and engage with us in, in, in whatever level. But thank you so much, Pete. Uh, thank you to our listeners for uh, longer than normal and longer than usual podcast. But I think we've covered a lot of ground today. And um, yeah, Thank you so much for listening and thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Peter, for your hard work and keep sending those questions and give us opportunities to, to grapple and to, to come back to you. And God bless you 
Until the next time.